27th year in January 2024. Find out our latest news at newsforthesoul.com. Next on News for the Soul, Indigenous Perspectives with Diane. Diane Hill is a member of the Bear Clan of the Mohawk Nation, situated at the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory in Ontario. She works as an integrative programs consultant at the Real School Leadership Program. She's also the director, owner, and operator of a private healing lodge and learning center focused on healing and fostering emergence of the good mind. Her passion is to teach, empower, and bridge the Western allopathic scientific perspective with the ancient indigenous multidimensional approach to wholeness. Please welcome Diane back to News for the Soul. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Happy New Year to you all. Looks like we're starting January 2024 out with a new guest that's new to news to the soul, for the soul. And my guest today is Jamie Lynn Montour. And Jamie is a member of the Turtle Clan of the Delaware Nations that's situated here at Six Nations at the Grand River. It's my home territory. And Jamie combines her work as a provincially licensed paralegal in Ontario with her life coaching services and healing and wellness workshop. Now, Jamie owns her own business. It's called JLM Professional Outsource. And she's able to offer a wide range of legal and wellness services that she creates from her own in-depth personal academic and her employment-related experiences. So I'd like to welcome today as my guest, Jamie Lynn Mator. Hello, Jamie. Hi there. So glad that you can join us today, Jamie, because the topic that I would like us to cover today has to deal with something very personal to you, but I think is an issue that sort of affects a lot of people. And I know that that in like in the past few days and literally in the past few days, I was having a conversation with a fellow therapist and the comment was made about the use of cocaine um, because she's an addiction therapist about the use of cocaine being so prevalent in people's lives today. And I was kind of shocked to hear that because um, uh, I'm an older generation. So in my generation, it wasn't that, that was kind of cocaine wasn't even sort of on anybody's radar. There were lots of other things on people's radar, but certainly not that one. And then when she made that statement, it sort of kind of woke me up. And, and I, so I start to ask, I said, well, you know, if it's that commonplace, right. Um, it's sort of replaced something like cigarettes. Would you say it's as commonplace as replacing like cigarettes? And she says in some circles it is, and that it was widely used in people's young professionals, um, people, people in the workplace and in more workplaces than even I could probably fathom me. So she was telling me things that was really um, like eye opening for me. And then, and then I recall uh, a little bit of your story. And so I'm really happy that you agreed to come on and talk to us a bit and to the listening audience 
to shed some light on just how common cocaine use is and and you yourself had a had a journey through uh, addiction with cocaine and so we want we would look um, today about how you untied yourself from that how did you get free and what happened and just some background information on your journey to your own wellness and and in your own life so that's a lot. That's a mouthful, but I don't know where you wanted to start. <laughs> if you want to start with maybe just telling us a little bit about how you got introduced to it. Was it through work? Was it through social settings? Like what happened? Well, first of all, thank you for the introduction. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in preparations for this um interview, I was reflecting on a lot of, I guess, because we had talked about it last night, right, and really what you wanted me to kind of touch base on when it came to my own experience. So knowing that you want to, you want to provide, you know, the collective with an understanding of of what it is you found, like having no real, how do I put this, like no real experience with cocaine in your own, in your own experiences, but knowing that it's out there and knowing, surprisingly knowing that it's as prevalent as it is, you know, I, I myself, I don't think I would compare it to cigarette smoking as opposed to what it was like for marijuana before that was legalized. So it's, right. you know, yeah. however, you know, my experience, isn't going to be the same as everyone else's and it is my experience and I'm not here to you know say that this is the end-all be-all for the addiction itself but all I can do is share with you what it is that I experienced what led me to it how I was introduced to it you know and how it maintained its existence within my within my life until I was ready Mm -hmm. to get rid of it but the the key factor was I was ready to get rid of it. It was time for me to let it go because it was no longer serving any purpose in my life. In fact, it was starting to it was starting to impact it negatively. So my experience with cocaine as a coping mechanism, it was what I needed to use in order to function through the dysfunction that was my life at the time. Hmm. Um, tell us tell I, us a little bit what was going on in your life at that time that you said you needed something like that to function. Can you talk, share a little bit with what was going on? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I was just reflecting on its introduction. Like I can remember the very first time that I used. And needless to say, I cannot put blame on any person that introduced me to it because it is my journey, and I did consciously choose to use the substance itself. If if it wasn't that substance, I was already using other substances. I was frequently smoking marijuana. I was entertaining acid, LSD. Um, I was using mushrooms regularly, and I was drinking. So Hmm. what happened that introduced me to cocaine specifically was I was exposed to a very traumatic event. Um, okay. My trauma 
was alcohol induced. It was okay. um, it had great safety factors to my well being. And you know, if if I'm gonna be quite frank, it was a trip that I took to to Caucus, New Jersey when mm-hmm. I was um well I was raped. I was subjected to um, physical violence. It was there was just a lot. There was a lot. I had two children at the time, so my youngest wasn't even a year old when that had happened and by no means was that the first rate, but it was the most impactful one because what happened was the police had removed me from a situation as if it was my fault. And then I was abandoned on some road at some bus stop with no cell phone, no money, all my luggage. And I was told that Mm -hmm. if I was to return to that place, I was going to be the one that was arrested. So it was huge trauma for me um, Mm -hmm. to be in that situation because what I wound up doing was, pretty much like this was we're talking two thirty, three, four in the morning in New York State, New New Jersey. Okay. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how to get back to where I was. But for some reason I was able to get back to where I was. I don't know how I did it. I know I jumped through alleyways and I was hiding underneath um staircases and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it was for some reason, an experience that I had to go through to, I I really have no, I have no idea why that had to happen, but I do understand that when I got back to Six Nations, I was introduced to cocaine shortly after that happened. And the very first time I used it, I realized how easy it was to shut me off so anything that could emotionally upset me, I found that mm-hmm. that cocaine had disconnected me from that emotion, and I was able to just be. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was more so a silencer at that time than it was like mm-hmm. anything to to create energy within myself. But yeah, so that very first time that I used it, I knew it could shut me off because the the person that I was with that introduced me to it, you know, I did my first line and they turned around and hit on the person that was with us right in front of me and I felt nothing. So it was okay that they acted the way they acted and it no longer impacted me. So I I kind of was drawn to that feeling of disconnect where it was, it was what it was, you know. Exactly. So were you were you already working in a professional way at that time, or would or would, I, or would you take different training later on? Like, because my understanding from the lady I was talking to is she was talking about cocaine use in professional circles. So I'm just wondering yeah. if you were professionally involved at that time in your work. At that time, I was not, but. Uh I continued to use. So when I wound up in my profession, I wasn't in, I wasn't a paralegal at that time. 
I was working in a law office, though, and I was still working with individuals that were dealing with family law issues and child welfare issues. And then we also did the federal Indian, no, sorry, the residential school claims. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was in my employment. Like I never used at work. Right. The, The way I saw it, I was a functioning addict. So I okay. worked throughout the week and took care of my kids. Now, by that time, I had three. And wow. I was working full time. So then it was usually around the downtime, like the weekends where, and at first it wasn't even every weekend. It was just like here or there. Usually when I would go out drinking and I'd get too drunk and I would use it to like level me out. Huh. And so I would carry on for longer. I would leave my kids with babysitters longer, leave my kids with my parents longer, you know. And, yeah, I I used it to help what I thought was helping me to, like, make me feel normal when I was too intoxicated. Yeah. And, and that was really important, what you just said there, eh? I used it to help me feel like normal it leveled me off that that that's that's a for someone like I said my I don't have experience with that but to help you know for people to understand that it it I guess it would be put in the category of um um of an upper so it would it would be like alcohol being a downer versus versus um something like cocaine that would bring you up it give you energy as opposed to taking you the other way, right? Which is what alcohol would kind of people pass out, right, after a while. Yeah. And, I mean, I functioned under that in a hidden sense for for many years. Like, I was 21 when I started, and it didn't Uh actually start impacting me negatively until 2017. Sorry, 2016. There were spans where I actually had not used because in the midst of turning, actually, sorry, I was 22 because I had two of my two sons. They're 10 and a half months apart mm-hmm. when I was 21. And then my okay. daughter, she was born, I think I was 25, 23, 24, 25, somewhere around those years. But I didn't use when... Yeah during those times, right? Like there were spans of times where I could go a few years without it. So it was there, but it wasn't like, at that point, it wasn't so much an addiction, I'd say. It was just kind of there for me to really, when I got too out of hand. Okay. So so help yeah. us understand, and help, or help me understand, how what where is the line between you say okay it's not, that at that time it was there but it wasn't an addiction how how did you know when when did it become an addiction what what was going on then um in 2016 seen i was um i was married at the time and my husband had left me and 
you know, uh, it was one of those, it was one of those times in my life where I should have known better. Like this is the person that caused me a lot of, he taught me a lot. I'll put it that way. A lot of my uh-huh. life experiences when it dealt with um, trauma and, and and what goes on with that was through this person. And <clears throat> he, uh, he he left me, and uh-huh. it's like I knew it was going to happen, and I felt like I should have known better. So I started going out more. I started drinking more, and he was trying to have time with the kids, so I kind of just let him do his thing with the kids, and I just did my own thing, and that I was more engaged in using back then. But then, so was it a craving for it? Did you say like like trying to understand it from the addiction perspective? Like like when you said I cro- there was a line you crossed, Dave, where suddenly you're yeah. drinking more, using more, but but are you also craving it more? I was craving it more, but okay. I didn't have I didn't have the um, see back in those days I didn't I've never gone and got it myself. I I just was with the people that did it and then they had it or somebody would go get it and I never had to go get it. So I think yeah, that the, the line that I recognized was when I tried, when I started getting it for myself. Right. Yeah. I think so too. I think so too, because I've, I've have a, I, I don't have very many clients um, that have that experience, but I remember one lady in particular um, talking to me of the same thing. She says, I never had to buy it. And and so that's kind of I think what that the therapist was talking to me about like like last week or, or earlier in the week when she said you know it's commonplace it's more common than 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 what you what you know Diane and I was like okay well enlighten me right and and that's one of the aspects of it is that you didn't have to buy it and neither did she it was just like right there it was in the circle of friends it was just easily accessible it um, yeah. And yeah, that just kind of blew my mind that that concept that it was that that available, eh? It's kind of like passing yeah. your own a joint, I suppose, right? A lot of things like there in the beginning, there was some part of me that knew it was wrong, but then, much like your therapist friend had disclosed, you know, you'd be surprised the people that used, and mm-hmm. and it was actually a person that I was using with that gave me that very same statement that said, you know. You'd be surprised. You probably worked for or worked with or opposing lawyers or whatever that are using. You'd be surprised right. there's judges that very well use, you know. And it blew my mind, but at the same time, like, I look around thinking, okay, well, I'm using, so, and I'm in this profession. You know, I wasn't as, uh, I guess, responsible for client matters in that time, but, you know, I, I still... I still hid it. I hid it well enough where nobody knew until they started mm-hmm. knowing. I mean, but at the same time, like it's those that knew me best that kind of could find something different, something off about me. Hmm. But I just played so it I think off. A, a, yeah. So I think a lot of people 
um, you know, there, there's this notion of functioning alcoholics, eh? I, and I, yeah. that I'm used to hearing stories about, you know, I needed alcohol to function. And I think in some ways, that's kind of what you're saying is that whether whether it was you or others, it came a point where you needed it to function. That was be kind of started to become your norm. Was it, did did you did you find that? Yep. So what was happening after 2016 when my husband had left me? He came back or tried to come back into my life and tried to come okay. tried to reconcile, but by then I was just like, no, no thanks or whatever. Right. I end up. Um, registering for this paralegal program because I knew I wanted to do more. I did. I wasn't like I'm not somebody that works in the background. As far as I'm concerned, I knew there was more to me. Yeah. But you know, I still carried on in my my own time. Like at no time did I ever use during work hours. It was always you know, if anything, I would end up calling in sick or I or miss days. When right. I was trying to trying to recover from you know having used too much or you know whatever, but what happened was in um, I believe it was May twenty sixteen. It was just before I started my program, so I received my you know acceptance letter and whatnot, and I was feeling good about moving on in my life, and then. I had a run-in with um, my my then husband who, you know, attempted suicide in my house. So wow, that was the, dramatic, eh? Wow. Yeah. And, you know, at that time, there was, um, there was a span of, I would, four months that he continuously would come to my house at three in the morning and try to come in. And, you know, it was abusive behavior. And I never really got to sleep very well, you know. Mm-hmm. So that it got to the point where I was so frustrated that I was starting to call the police because I just, I was sick of it. And I was on the phone with the police when he was there trying to come in, and it got very quiet. So when the police were, like the 911 operator had said that the police were on their way, and she said, well, if it's quiet there, like just if you need anything, just call back or whatever. I wound up going outside to see where he went because I thought maybe he just left. And that's when I found him in the garage and he had hung himself. So I remember standing there and he had uh, taken another breath. So I knew he wasn't gone and I ran over and I lifted him so that the pressure wasn't on his throat because he had hung himself. And Mm -hmm. my brother was staying with me at that time. So he came and he helped me get him from the rafters. And then I put him on the ground when the police had got there. So after that incident, it was it was the pushing point to use more because I continuously saw it, you know, like it was it was a memory that <laughs> I couldn't sleep without seeing 
that yeah. I didn't look at the color blue, you know, I, mm-hmm. I hated dry skin. Like it was just, there were so many things. And so I started using because I remembered how it would shut me off. Like how I, I didn't have to feel anything or how I could just like ignore whatever wow. was coming up because I was, I was in a different, I don't want to say mindset. Cause I don't believe it was a mindset as opposed to like, just, it gave me what I needed. I can't even, I'm not even sure what that was at the time. I just know that I didn't have to feel what I was feeling. I didn't have to remember what I was remembering. Yeah, what right? you were remembering. Yeah, or yeah, and what you what you saw. Yeah, there was a way you could yeah. you could not be affected by it. Yeah. Well, um, my relationship so, with my kids started going downhill after that one because their relationship, like I was allowing them to just go with their dad and do whatever with him because I was so angry at him for what he did. And I was carrying on with what I was carrying on with. That and so this this husband then was the father of your your children, right? That that yes. But they yeah. they didn't see it that night. But but it was they were home, eh? Wow. They were there. They were in the house. Yeah. Wow. So they they never and seen so, it. They never knew anything. So I mean, like how I how I said there was a lot of things that this person had had taught me. Right, like there was a lot of experiences that Mm -hmm. I went through with this person that, you know, I I always held it in. Like I never told my kids what my issue was with them. They just knew that we were pretty volatile together. Like we had a very tumultuous relationship. Yeah, and then after this, sorry, this is happening. I just wanted to to reiterate, I guess, and, and to, so that people understood that, like you were living at home here on the reserve, eh? Like this was, this didn't happen just to you. This was happening, I think, in other places and other other couples on the reserve, eh? Because you were living on the reserve, were you not at that time? Yeah, yeah, all of it. I think I got away from the reserve for a couple of years, moved to Windsor, and I was sober when I moved. I was. Like I, I hold a high regard for Windsor for how I found more of myself out there. Yeah, and, and that would, and and you came back to the same. Some people would say same old, same old, right? The, the, yeah. Like the same old behaviors and the same things that you were experiencing and other couples were experiencing, and and I just think it's important to to mention that because sometimes. You know, um, people don't realize that some of these problems that are happening in, say, inner cities or in the, and some people call it in the poorer areas of cities or towns, it's it's happening on the reserve as well. It's happening in in off the reserve, and you probably find it in rural areas as well. But you know, it's not well understood or not well, t- or even you talked about, right? It's kind of kept secret. <laughs> so it's kind of like. Like it's important to bring it out and to realize that this is happening in more places than I think we realize, eh? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is we're conditioned to we're conditioned with the belief that what happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. Nobody should know what happens in yeah. your home. Right? Like those are very strong teachings that are ingrained in us. Yeah. That's, there's that mm-hmm. fear of Good your point. children being removed from your home. And, you know, there's so many things that we don't realize. You know, my children should very well have been apprehended. They should have been hmm. apprehended 
many times, but for some reason they weren't. So I wasn't mm-hmm. put in this life to have that happen to me. What right. I was doing was having these experiences so that I could identify what it is when somebody is going through it. Like I can identify when somebody is dealing with someone who has addiction issues and I can identify when somebody's not being truthful to their own addiction issues. I don't know how, but I can feel it. There's like yeah. this feeling when I interact with others where like there's one of my coworkers. Yeah. Yeah, one of my coworkers called it an inner radar, uh, and I remember my coworkers saying, you know, I could, I, I can spot that. We at the time, you know, we were talking about alcoholism and that kind of thing, um, but I think you also have this inner radar now from your experiences that you can, you just know, hey, when people are using and when they're, like you said, not being forthcoming or or authentic about what they're what they're using or even that they're addicted. I think you have an inner sense for that now based because you went through it yourself. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. valuable because I couldn't I couldn't spot that. I wouldn't know the difference. And and I think if um you know, if if, if your career ever moves in some place where you want it to put that that's a, um to to use that to me it's a skill set, eh? It's it's a way yeah. that um, it's a vibe that comes out that lets clients know that you're not bullshitting. Like you're you're actually telling the real thing, coming you're authentic, you're coming from, you know, personal experience where I don't think I would be a good worker or a good helper to somebody because I, I can't relate. Eh? I didn't I don't have that. But I but um I think where we're going forward you, you could. You you could do that. So that's that's just something that sort of crossed my mind that I'm putting out. Um, you know, for for just just it's what we call like a little um, sticky note, right? When you hang a sticky note up and you say, "Here, here's a marker that says, wait a minute, Jamie would make a good counselor." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that does it does it does benefit for what I do, like working in these systems now with this knowing of self. I pick up on these cues. I can, mm-hmm. but you know, when I when I eventually did become a paralegal, now I just want to point out that cocaine. I don't, I'm not pro cocaine, but I will tell you that I I used and I felt like it was purposeful. If that makes sense. Like, it allowed me to function so I didn't have to continuously deal with trauma. And eventually, right. I I fostered that relationship because I was, I didn't know how to function as a sober person. And mm-hmm. when I was going through school, so I was working full-time when I joined this paralegal program, and then I was attending school full-time. So I was working 40 hours, and school was 35 hours a week on top of having three kids, and they all played sports. I played sports, and I used. It's what kept Mm -hmm. me going. Like For the two years of that program, I don't remember sleeping all too often. 
Wow. So that's that's its purpose then. It kept you going. It it kept me going. It wasn't... So I'm just aware of the time. So 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 what made you stop? What, 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 you know, what, what, what was the point where you came and you said, I just, I can't do this anymore because if you stop using, you're going to start feeling stuff, right? Or maybe you didn't know that or did you know that? I didn't really identify with that, but what, what it was, was I went from one abusive relationship to another and then to another and every single relationship, there was some form of violence that led me to come into awareness that there was only one commonality in all of that, and that was me. So it was a pattern that presented itself to me. It was an assault that took place 16 years from the day that I was assaulted in the exact same manner. And I sat back and thought, like, it's clearly me. (laughs) So I put myself in... Yeah, I put myself in the shelter, and I remember that very first morning I woke up in the shelter, and I said, you know, I I literally asked out loud, like, who am I? Because I'm not an addict. I'm not a victim. I'm not this. I'm not all these things. I'm not a survivor. You know, I just, I'm, I'm here, but who am I? And that question itself unraveled a series of opportunities that actually gave me that an answer, not the answer, but showed me or enlightened me to certain aspects of who I am. And I found mm-hmm. myself where I am today based on answering every opportunity that made me feel uncomfortable. I pushed myself past my comfort zone and embraced sobriety because I knew that there was no way that I could function that way anymore. I would lose everything if I did, including my yeah. own life. Like right. I was having readings done and I had readers that would say, you know, are you using? And for years I would say no. And then eventually when I finally got sober, I made that conscious choice. I was going to let everybody know that was important to me that yes, I am using and yes, I'm doing what I can to get it right. So my first talk was with my kids. My next one was my parents. And then, you know, as far as anybody else is concerned, it wasn't their business. As long as my family knew that I was doing what I could and that I was going to make things right. But it was after their dad died. Their dad died in 2017. And I said, Uh you know what, I'm going to give myself a year. And I tried getting sober in probably, I'd say, about nine, ten months. I had a couple of relapses, but by uh, September 16, 2018, that was the day of my, that I, that was the last, that was the last of it. And since then, I've really taken every opportunity to get to know myself. Mm-hmm. So that was the the eye opening or the awakening, as we call it sometimes in the wellness business, is when you had to question like, who am I? Um, you know, am am I? A, you said I'm not an addict, and and that's that's really important what you what you said there, because some people 
would keep on going and saying, but but I am an addict, so therefore I'll use, I'll continue using. But you went the opposite way. You said, I'm not an addict, I'm not a victim, I'm not, like, but, 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 so why am I doing this? That's kind yeah. of what I'm hearing you say, that that light yeah. bulb moment came on, eh, for you. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really important because I think that question of, of who am I, is is right down at the core of who of who who you are eh, as a spiritual being, you yeah. know the soul. The soul spoke yeah. to you. We would say that that's kind of yeah. what what this program is about, right? For news for the soul. So I think your soul mm-hmm. talked to you, and and keep, yeah. brought you to a place of of yeah. awareness. That's awesome. Wow. So how you was your journey? What's really What's interesting that? is the very, very moment. So that morning I was still lying in bed when I asked myself that question. And so I got up and I started getting ready. And when I get ready, I listen to music. And coincidentally, and I know there's no coincidences, but the, the song that I was playing was Man in the Mirror. And if you listen to the uh-huh. that song, like, it, it's interesting that I asked the question and I got an answer. You know, mm-hmm. I ask that right question. Everybody has a question to ask for themselves, for their own lives, right? Mm-hmm. And that was my question. Yes, that's true. You're making an excellent point for for people who are listening and might be struggling with some kind of addiction. That's everybody has a point, hey, a question, a, pur- a purpose-driven, it's called, like, a soul message. And it'll be different for everybody. And that was, yeah. Yeah, I fell in love with the process from the moment I started seeing those synchronicities. So mm-hmm. it's like that spiritual alignment or that enlightening and, you know, right. understanding that there are no coincidences. Like I find so much gratitude in life and I'm excited for the experience of life because of these synchronicities. I really enjoy seeing when a message comes through nature or when there's like somebody just shows up and tells you something you have to hear. And it's so random Mm -hmm. that it's amazing. So I fell in love with that when it comes to my life. Absolutely. There's the creation and the universe has always got our backs. But if we're not aware and we're kind of missing the signs or mixing the cues where it's trying to nudge us, eh? And sort mm-hmm. of say, hey, you know, here's 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 something for you um, to pay attention to. Oh, you know, sometimes we miss it, right? Even if we're not drinking in the busyness of life, um, yeah. you know. So it's so it's so it's really like you said, it's really when your spirit lines up and then suddenly the soul brings forward a message for you. And then it has mm-hmm. this tremendous impact on you because I just did the math and 2018 to 2024, that's only six years. So you've yeah. come really far. You've come a long way in six years and I'm sure it wasn't easy. Uh, what was it like quitting? Like what, like what were some of your challenges when you quit? Oh, COVID. <laughs> COVID. COVID. <laughs> you know, <laughs> When I when I first got sober, it was it was simple. There are so many programs and services available. Like I did everything I possibly could think of. I did NA, AA, Steps to Change. I was seeing addictions counselors at Six Nations and in Brantford. I was seeing psychotherapists. I was seeing one-on-one counselors. I I started going back to church. You know, my 
my family line, they weren't traditional. I didn't have traditional mm-hmm. teachings in my in my growing up, but you know, in order to answer a question about who I am, I had to see myself through my grandmother's eyes. And they were strong believers of of God and they were faithful mm-hmm. to the church. So I mm-hmm. ended up back in church for thirty it, mm-hmm. it was thirty years. 30 years since my grandma had passed. And mm-hmm. here I am sitting in church, and it's a completely different vibe, and it was a completely different experience. And then it was there until, you know, I was triggered there about a belief. And in my belief system, it's that all things exist on purpose. Every avenue of religion or tradition, you know, are just avenues towards spirituality. And when mm-hmm. one makes comment about another, to me, it's not in a good way, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself then in Longhouse, and that was just last year that I set foot in Longhouse. And that was the first time I went by myself, you know. <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's a full circle journey in some ways, eh? bringing you back to your roots of of your culture and the basis of your native you know, who you are as a Native woman and, um, you know, finding out your clan and getting a name. I think that you, are you, are you, did you get your name yet? Did you? Yeah, I have a name. Are... So my name is Yodeni uh, Lato Daniel. And I'm told that it's the leaves are scattered. And then like in brackets, it's by the wind. Mm-hmm. So for me, so... like understanding my name and, you know, being even Turtle Clan, as a turtle clan, that's like a, a foundational creature. Like it's Mother Earth, yes. Turtle Island, right. right? Like we're holding, we're holding people. So I, I'm seeing the synchronicities in all my experiences, and they're putting me, or empowering me with that knowing of you know what I am unique. I mm-hmm. am purpose. I. I even I don't know. I take deep dives. Let's put it that way. I take deep dives in every experience I have. <laughs> well, that means you have courage, Jamie, because um, you know there's a. I'm in. The, I've been in this business a long time, as you know, and and um, and people aren't aren't lining up outside my door or knocking the door down to get in, um, because because it's hard work, and it takes courage, and so you're one of those deep dive women who just said, you know, you, you, you're good. Like, I need to do this and I'm going to do it. And and you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was pretty yeah. stubborn growing up. There was nothing you couldn't tell me. I couldn't do, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really, that's really what they call um, self-effacing. Right? You're able to look at yourself and say, oh, wow, you know, I got a degree of stubbornness and that really helped. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's a purposeful trait. It just sometimes goes the wrong way. <laughs> that's that's awful. So, what was the hard, hardest time that you had? What was one of the biggest struggles? Where you, where did you ever doubt that that you weren't going to go forward? Was there ever a time when you got shaky? Absolutely, and it happens. It comes so sporadically, like it's so random. I mean, one of the biggest ones for me though was my relationship with my kids. That was a huge impact to me. My relationship with my kids had faltered to the point where none of them were speaking with me. And 
and mm-hmm. I attempted suicide as a result. Um, so okay. that is that attempt, you know, clearly didn't work. And right. when I attempted, uh, so what I what I did was I attempted to slice my wrist, but the knife didn't go through. Mm. Don't ask me mm. why or how or whatever, but in that process, I let out one scream, and that scream allowed me to start to start crying. Mm-hmm. And then in that crying, all of a sudden, I picked up a pen and paper, and 18 pages later, I finally told them exactly what I experienced, regardless of their so, opinion or their judgment or whatever. I fully disclosed what I went through and why I couldn't be there when their dad died. Why that is significant. All, wow. Yeah. Because they resented me for that. Yeah. And see, you poured it out. You poured it out. That was that. I think is key for for people to know on this kind of on this journey to, to transform yourself on your journey to wellness. We'll say right. You poured yeah. it out, and 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 even though you didn't talk it to anyone, but you put it on the paper. It's still yeah. leaving you. And, and and putting expressing it outwardly, that's I think really significant what you're saying to you know, to help people on their wellness journey. You gotta get it out. Yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't have to give them it, but I did. You gave them the pages? And I gave them the pages. So they know everything wow. that I experienced. And I didn't do it so that they could look at me as a victim. I did it so that they would be aware. Because as a parent, you know, we're not given instructions. We just live and we're doing the best we can with what we have. And that actually helped me to have some compassion for the experiences that I was holding resentment for in my my parents, you know, knowing that they don't know what they're doing. They're just living their own existence, too. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Yeah, I, I really... That probably was the the biggest for me was that relationship bond with my kids. And and honestly, it did not come back. It didn't come back until very recently. And it was very, very hard for my kids to see me in a different light. And even today, they look at me and, you know, I just heard recently my eldest son, he says, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how my, my children are going to see you when I tell them what you were like because you're not anything like who you were. Mm-hmm. So it, in reality, I'm thinking, why would you even tell them then? <laughs> why would you tell them that <laughs> yeah, stuff, but you know? He's processing it, eh? He's trying to come to terms with the changes that you've made and the person that you are now. Yeah. And he's right, eh? You weren't that. But but he'll come to it. I think he'll come. He'll usually people just have to, you know, say what they're thinking, and then they to get it out so that they can move to somewhere else with it. But yeah. you know, I agree. Like, why would you tell your children that who who your grandmother was when just work from where you are now, right? But at the same time, it does exhibit that people are capable of great change when they put their mind to it. When they put their whole heart and soul to it, like we're not here to be the same. We're always evolving and we're always growing and I'm always healing and I'm always learning. And, you know, Mm -hmm. five, 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and I'll be, wow, like I 
I can't believe I was that way. Like that's so different than what I am today, you know, and I'm in a pretty good place yeah. with myself today, right? Well, I, I would agree you're in an excellent place for yourself because this is a, what we call a tough conversation. It's a tough interview, but you know, you you you're you're telling us things and managing you know yourself in such a way that you know you're, you're able to give us insight. You're able to give us some understanding. You're able to help us, you know, appreciate you and your journey because I think it's a journey for everyone, isn't it? Oh, it's a journey. Everyone that, needs to get it out. Yeah, it can be yeah. done. Yeah. I think that when we take off the blinders to who we think we are, we can actually see who we are by just experiencing it. Like, I have been able to flow with life, and it's. Mm exhilarating Mm -hmm. and it's exhausting but it's exhilarating for the most part right Mm -hmm. yeah and the talk so clearly and plainly and so radically honest as we call it and you've only been six years I mean I can't have these conversations with with some clientele who have been on healing journeys for for twice as long as you have like they're still not at that stage where they can kind of disclose well this is what you know went on and and that's fine everybody's unique and everybody's going to take as much time as they need to get there but i think there's a freedom to your radical honesty i i think there's you've set yourself free in many ways by not denying any of it but by really coming clean with it coming you know putting it out there right yeah well i'm not gonna lie there is some discomfort I'm experiencing physical discomfort in these conversations, but at the same time, it has to be said, it didn't happen just for the sake of happening. I had to make purpose of it. Otherwise, it happened for no reason, and that's not what life is about. Everything has a reason for happening. I agree. Yeah, and and I know there's a lot of people that, you know, get upset with that statement, you know, especially if they've lost a loved one or they've, you know, been hurt badly in accidents it's like you know why are you saying that that happened to the reason you know what good reason would have come out of that you know people get angry when when they hear that statement but but once you kind of work through it you start to realize that if that didn't happen I wouldn't be where I am today I wouldn't be who I am better yeah said better thanks Jamie yeah you said that much better so and to be honest, you, you know, I could have carried all that resentment for the kid's father, but the fact that, you know, he's not here. And I had survivor's guilt. He didn't make it to 40. And I'm 45. <laughs> I had survivor's so, guilt at 40. So, I mean, but I made my peace with him. It was interesting mm-hmm. because there was one statement, and I'll just close with that, but this one statement made a very big impact for me in my relationship with him now that he's gone and those memories of when he was here. It is the statement that this person knew that I was important and that to be as important as I am, I had to go through a life that experienced a lot of hardships. And he loved me so much that he chose to come to this world and to provide me with the teachings through these lessons so that I could become what I have to be. For me, I thought, huh. you know, I knew he loved me as, as profound as our relationship was, you know. There was always a connection between us. And I knew mm-hmm. that he loved me. His mm-hmm. love was 
the way it was because of what he had to experience, you know, and I have compassion for those who have experienced life because they're doing the best they can. Yeah, that's huge. That's a really huge awareness and a huge gift as well as, you know, being able to see um, what he gave you because he died. He died when? How many, how, how many years ago did he pass? Seven. Seven years ago. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that, that, like you said, that the loss of your husband kind of propelled you into the change, right? But, but now you're looking at it as, as the gift that he gave you, which is like life, your life. Yeah. Yeah. To live it differently and to help so many people. That's amazing. So Jamie, we've reached a time now in the program where, um, they call it shameless self-promotion, but I, I don't have anything that I want to promote right now for myself. But I'm wondering if, if you might share a little bit about some of the workshops, because you've always owned your own business. and But, but what you've done is you've added wellness workshops and services and things to your your business. And I just wondered if you would talk a little bit about about that. What what you what yeah. you now do for people based on your own experience? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so when I created JLM Professional Outsource, it was based on the premise that I wanted to provide a resource for any person that felt challenged, because I knew a lot of people in the legal profession, and if it was something that I couldn't do, I could then refer it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I was then introduced to financial services. So I took courses on that. And for a little period, I was able to sell insurance and mutual funds. But I wanted to open myself up to whatever I could offer because I wanted to be of service to those that needed written advocacy through the Federal Indian Day School claims, which I did do. Mm-hmm. So in those two years, like I've worked over 150 applications, and these are high level claims of harm. So we're talking, you know, abuses of sexual nature, physical, and, you know, all those hardships that people experience through living on the federal day school experience for Indigenous people, right? And then Mm -hmm. from there, I end up getting stalled out because COVID shut down all the courts because my paralegal license was going to fund my ability to provide that service so I didn't have to charge people. Mm-hmm. But what was happening was I was giving, I was finding myself in these different programs and I had taken them at least two years learning the Akashic Records. So doing the Akashic Healing Program, you know, I have an introduction to what the Akashics are and how you can use them to further your own wellness strategy. In my right. own process of figuring out who I am, I found mm-hmm. avenues through astrology, numerology, and the human design. So I have what's called discovery readings where I can sit with you and figure out, you know, where the stars were exactly when you were born. And that has okay. an impact on who you are as an individual, you know. Mm-hmm. And then in the midst of furthering, you know, self-improvement, I, I found myself in a broadcasting program, coincidentally. So I did have intentions of starting my own podcast. And in my podcast, I wanted to focus on two topics, one of which is life force energy, that's the human experience, and then another, mm-hmm. representing seven, being 
that sacredness of seven, understanding what all exists that exists on purpose with that sacredness of seven. But most recently, 2023 allowed me to do facilitating. So working with youth, in fact, to do things that are self-awareness raising. I've done workshops Mm -hmm. like full moon meditation and paddles. I've Mm -hmm. most recently done uh, deer harvesting workshops, so culturally teaching youth. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I saw a poster in the community posted that that out. How did that go? Did it go well? It went well. Yeah, I've, I've been really exposed to hunting. Like I went hunt. I didn't hunt. Like I didn't carry any weapon or anything like that. But just to be out in nature when the sun yes. rises, or even when mm-hmm. the sun sets, like it's so grounding and it's so peaceful, so quiet. It's a practice that we've forgotten because we're so living a society where we're constantly on the go and everything's so loud and you know whatever but that harvesting portion of it the teaching around you know why it is we eat what we eat when it comes Mm -hmm. to you know deer deer specific that one was but you know that's my intent is I want to be able to facilitate opportunities for people I want to say people, but mostly it's for myself. Like, I really want to learn more. (laughs) And I want to bring people on board that want to learn more. So, yeah. How do we get a hold of you, Jamie? So that's just excellent. How do we get a hold of you? How do people contact you? What's the best way? Well, I've had, uh, I don't, my website's been under construction for about four years, but it is on the web. So, I mean, it's www dot j l m p r o dot c a so that's my website i'm also on facebook and instagram and i have i have all the twitters like the snapchats mostly my um my postings are on facebook so that's where so, a lot of my so what's your facebook how do we find you on facebook what do, what are we looking up on facebook um well you your name's spelled different name. Yeah, my name is J-A-I-M-E, <laughs> but it's Jamie yeah. Lynn Montour. For me specifically, my business yeah. is JLM Professional Outsource, and that's on there. I also have, oh, it is? Um, yeah, I have one for my Awakens, which is JLM Awakens. I have one for my J-L-M presentation. JLM Awakens. Okay, hold on. I'm just trying to write some things down. And, and what's the other one? JLM Presents. Okay. And they're so, all on Facebook. And they're all on Facebook. Okay. So we've run out of time here today, Jamie, but I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on, being so willing, being so candid, being so radically honest about your journey, because I think that's what we have to put out to people is we have to say, you know, hey, look, you know, I've been there too. And and, and that vibe sort of goes out and and it does things for people. It it, it allows it humanizes things. It lets people see that they aren't bad people. That that you know people are just trying, as you said, living their life and doing the best they can. But sometimes you run into difficulties, and people need to know there are other people like you out there in the world who can share their experience and help them. So thanks very much, Jamie, for coming on this show. Thanks, and we'll see you again. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
the soul begins its 27th year in January 2024. Find out our latest news at newsforthesoul.com.